Greetings, my friend, and welcome to Beyond Curious, conversations with brave adventurers like yourself that are taking voyages into the unknown to satisfy their curiosity, fulfill their purpose, and bring their ideas to life. I'm Brandon Fong, and I am beyond excited to introduce you to today's guest, Albie Hanneman. About three weeks before the party, Jay Glazer calls me and says, hey, man, I am so sorry. I got COVID. And I gave Howie Long COVID, and I gave our assistant COVID, and the president from Fox has said, we are not allowed to go to any Super Bowl parties. Thing. And I'm like, holy shit, what am I going to do? So I actually changed the name of the party to the MVP kickoff party, not even knowing if my host was going to be able to come or not. But I was so deep, I had to figure it out. Oh man, so intense. What happens next? I guess you'll have to listen to find out. In this episode, you're going to learn so much, as always, but I would love for you to look out for these three specific things. Number one, how Ralph, the red bandana-wearing volleyball player, changed Albie's life forever. Number two, how Albie made the jump from being a pro volleyball player to entrepreneurship and creating world-class events. And number three, the story behind putting together the 2022 MVP kickoff party that garnered over 669 million total media impressions and had people like Little John and Guy Fieri walking around. So look out for that story for the 2022 MVP kickoff party. So you've heard some keywords here. You've heard some keywords of somebody throwing around some crazy parties. You've heard pro volleyball player. So if you don't know who Albie is, Albert, or as he prefers to be called Albie Hanneman, played professional beach volleyball for 18 years. He is a former Olympic Festival gold medalist, US Open champion, Hermosa Beach Open champion, founder of the National Volleyball League Professional Beach Volleyball Tour, and managing director of the Beach Agency Group. If you can't already tell from that first few sentences of his bio, Albie is the definition of a curious human who not only started out as a pro volleyball player, but reinvented himself as somebody that now creates world-class events. So the Beach Agency Group produces and partners with events that connect brands with celebrities, athletes, and ideal customers. So for some examples, he's the founder of Go Beach Fest and Volleyball Vacations, which are popular corporate fantasy camps at exclusive resorts around the world. These events have expanded to now working with businesses, creating custom incentive trips with celebrity sports icons and experts in various fields. He's also the founder of the Driftwood Beach Festival, where he has beach volleyball celebrities and music artists collaborate to host groups in the Bahamas and and Hawaii. And if that wasn't enough, he also founded in 2012, the PlayFit Foundation, where he helps youth from underserved communities through nutrition, education, and physical fitness through sports. Albie also graduated from the University of Hawaii, where he was the Student Athlete of the Year and an academic All-American. He enjoys traveling and going on adventures with his wife, Lisa, and his three daughters. Also, before I kick things off, I want to give a shout out to Marusha Murphy, who is responsible for connecting me to Albie. We are both a part of Marusha's mastermind called Revolutionaries, and I'm just so grateful that I now have Albie in my life. He's an amazing human, and I can't wait for you to meet him. So without any further ado, here is my former pro beach volleyball player friend turned amazing event coordinator, Mr. Albie Hanneman. Mr. Albie Hanneman, super excited to have you here, my friend. This is going to be so much fun. Aloha, my brother. Great to be here. I'm excited as well. Yeah, for sure. 
I there's so much that I want to dive in with you. And even right now, as I'm looking at your background, I see a samurai sword, which I I, I had a note to maybe potentially <laughs> asking about. But one of the things that I thought would be a really fun thing to start with that's super small, but I'm just really curious about. So I, I came across on one of your bios somewhere, you said you, you enjoy samurai swords, dominoes, pairing wine with your favorite foods, traveling with your family, coaching whenever possible. And this is the one that stuck out for me. Green flash sunsets and making a shit ton of magic happen. So we're, we're going to go all over the place in your incredible <laughs> journey. I want to talk uh, about all the all the magic that you've created, but I had never heard of a green flash sunset before. I would love for you to share what that is and maybe a particular oh my experience gosh. that you've so had witnessing. So you're not from California one. or in Hawaii? I don't understand how you don't know these things. <laughs> nope, dude, from the cold Wisconsin. Uh, you've seen way more sunsets than I have. <laughs> yeah, no, so so it's actually, um, it's actually something that does happen. It's at the very end of a perfect sunset not a lot of background. Um, you can see the sun going down and it starts to shift colors. And if you're really lucky, as it goes to the very bottom, you'll see a green flash and everybody claps and goes crazy. Some people say they've never seen it. I've seen maybe about 15. So wow. in, typically in Hawaii and uh, here in California. But I mean, I was at a buddy's wedding that got married on the beach and it happened. The dolphins gone. I mean, it's just crazy. But it, no it's way. one of those rarities that you just kind of hope for and you sit there and watch and luckily here we get a lot of good sunsets. That sounds like the ending of like a Disney movie, like a green flash sunset, <laughs> dump, do, dolphins simultaneously jumping and crossing is, over each other. Pretty <laughs> cool. Yeah, oh, seriously. I love that. And, and and because of your profession, I can imagine you've probably enjoyed way more sunsets than the majority of people in this world have. So I'm sure you have a a fine, fine appreciation for a, a good sunset. So I would love to start diving into this world, this life that you've lived that has been majority with sand between your toes on, on beaches. And I would love for you to, to, to share a story about almost how it all started. So I'm going to say three words. I'd love for you to pick it up. So Ralph and Red, ba Ra Ralph and Red Bandana. Talk to us a little bit about Ralph oh and how that, what that had Look to do with your you. journey. <laughs> your ability to pull stuff out that I don't even remember is amazing. And now it's all coming back. So yeah, so there's this uh this guy. So I used to take the bus down to the beach every day and bring my my you know my boogie board. Uh and that was my thing in like sixth, seventh grade. And I'd get out in the water in Hermosa Beach and just loved it. And we would go to twenty second street in Hermosa and I'd walk by and I'd see like beach volleyball going on on my left as I'm going to the water. I didn't really pay attention to it, but kind of caught my eye and I'm I'm watching him play and I'm like, you know, whatever. I'm more about jumping in the water when I'm in Hawaii. I'm in the water all the time. And so um, as I started coming out, I started to pay a little more attention to it. And one day Ralph's like, Hey, you know, come over and, and try this. And I'm like, you're kind of a kook. Like I'm a water guy. Like, what are you doing? What is this? So I end up playing a little bit. He teaches me how to play. And I'm just like, you know, was kind of getting into it. It was, it was different. It was like, I'm a football basketball guy and played soccer and didn't really, you know, appreciate volleyball. I didn't understand it. And, um, yeah, it was awesome. And I got addicted to it. And then, you know, sure enough, like two, three weeks later, I stopped bringing my board down. I just went down and started playing volleyball. So I owe a lot to, to Ralph and the red bandana. I'll never forget. And when you brought that up, it just kind of made, made me light up and remember he was like the weird inspiration when I was a kid in seventh grade, like going to try to play volleyball now. So it was pretty fun. So hold on, let me let me zoom in here a little bit. Is Ralph was he just one of those weird guys on the beach that was kind of like just there all the time, or did you actually have a relationship with him, or was this literally some stranger that you saw all the time and was just he just brought you in and almost changed yeah. your life as a result of you bringing you in that day? 
No, totally. He he was just the local volleyball guy, right? He was there early okay. to get the court. He was playing every day. And I think because he was older, he was saying, like, I'm going to need someone quicker to kind of keep me on the court longer. So I became <laughs> that solution for him. And my brother played, my older brother, and I was around it a little bit, but not, you know, I wasn't really interested in volleyball until that moment kind of piqued me a little more than normal. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, let's let's dive a little bit into your incredible volleyball career. I know you're a former Olympic Festival gold medalist, US Open champ, US Open champion, and uh one of the things that was really cool when you had sent me an email just the other day, you were talking about how it took you 10 years and 158 tournaments before you got the the pro tour victory. So, you were on one heck of a journey. And one of the things that stood out to me that you had mentioned in in that email that you also sent me was talking about how to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And it seems like this seems to be one of your philosophies, one of your mental um, shortcuts that you've taken or mental things that you keep at, at the forefront as you've grown as an athlete. And I think this is one of the things that we've all heard, but may not fully understand and internalize. And as somebody that has constantly pushed the boundaries of what was possible for yourself, I would love for you to maybe share a little bit about that concept and how it played a role in your volleyball career. Yeah, no, thanks for that. Um, you know, I, I, I feel like the lessons I learned, you know, really start from my parents, right? My, my dad, um, grew up in Samoa and his, my grandpa moved them to Guam and then Hawaii. And then right before my oldest sister was born, my mom and my dad had moved over to California talking about being uncomfortable. And, you know, they started a new life because the whole idea was to try to give their kids more opportunities. And, you know, I mean, my dad used to have to take the bus to the airport and after they walked first. So it was like a really crazy idea of thinking about these things, about how uncomfortable they were when I thought I was uncomfortable. It was nothing close, right? So, um, you know, just kind of going through everything in life and, and realizing, you know, that if, if it's easy, then everybody would be doing it, right? So, you know, thinking about those things that those tougher moments and and things that really helped me grow. But I really didn't understand this until I was like towards the end of my career when I was, you know, mentoring younger kids and and what they were doing on and off the court and, you know, seeing like, how do you have that growth, right? Beach volleyball is more of a, uh, you know, a higher demo, you know, people grow up on the beaches and their parents have these huge houses and we're just like in the ghetto, like, why are you playing beach volleyball? So it was really uncomfortable and having to, you know, figure out, you know, wh where do I really, um, fit into this sport that I was, you know, football, basketball made sense to me, but then I'm like excelling in indoor volleyball and beach, but I always felt uncomfortable being around a different group of people that we didn't have anything in common, right? Like my dad would come to stuff and, and just kind of like, you could just see that it was like a kind of an outcast. Right. So it kind of drove me to, to want to be better so we can fit in more. And then it was a natural, you know, progression to being like accepted. So, you know, using those lessons really, you know, going through and again, it's just a sport, but there's just so many like things that I remember being in situations that were, were super uncomfortable that when you got older, you realize that that's when you had your most growth. Mm -hmm. It's crazy to hear you say that because I think as kids, we all want to just fit in, but I know now you're in a position, especially in the volleyball world, where you're one of the people that's actually creating the culture. So you went from wanting to be a kid that was on the outside to the one that's actually creating the NBL and kind of setting the culture for other people and creating, I know you're really passionate about after school activities for kids and getting them involved and kind of creating that environment for them to 
turn volleyball into a opportunity for them to grow and for them to thrive and just create a really cool environment about that. And as you were talking, it also reminded me of one of, one of my core values is something I call conscious storytelling. And the idea is like, how do you, I believe that the stories that we tell both internally and externally are the ones that are shaping our world. And so I'm kind of curious to zoom in a little bit here when you, when you felt like you were the outsider all the time and you had to kind of train yourself to be uncomfortable. What are some of the the, the questions that you asked or some of the ways that you actually went from go, being uncomfortable to shifting the narrative and actually being a, a dominant force inside of the volleyball world? Are, are there any things that you might be able to zoom in a little bit on there? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's a good question. I mean, I think about, you know, what do you have to do as you're almost acting, right? You have to be able to fit in, but then I think being able to pay attention to people's personalities and and I think that's why I was able to really learn more about how to connect with people because, you know, when you don't have anything in common for the most part outside of volleyball, you know, it was like I found ways to connect with them and, and you know, I was like the, the funny guy. And I when I played, I really wore my heart on my sleeve. Like I was the, the passionate guy, like every point meant a lot to me like I got almost too excited like where I was tired towards the end of the first match because I was like celebrating so I had to learn how to tone that down um, but that was what made me like you know people wanted to connect with me so I really you know figured that was my thing and it was it was pure passion I mean it kind of gave me a road out you know and kind of gave me a a path to kind of you know be successful in something because it just was you know you got to be passionate about anything you love but I was pretty fortunate to to have enough um, you know, ability to get me into college. Like, there's no way I would have gone to college. Like, you know, I went to UCLA and then University of Hawaii, and I was very fortunate. I'm always thankful. So, you know, when I got, um, when I when I retired in 2010 from playing, I mean, I had an 18 year career, and I knew that I had to give back, right? So I start the tour. So the National Volleyball League came, um, you know, uh, a, a new thing, and we ran the domestic tour, and it was really a bad time to do something like that. But my passion kind of took over my, um, you know, common sense and really did a great job with that. And, and it was my way to give back, you know, and it was kind of like understanding, like, you know, you, you, you really understand the people in the sport now. So let's try to grow it. And, and to yeah. your point, you know, when I sent that to you last week, like I was reading some of the articles and I'm like, I was talking about how important it was for the growth of the sport with the kids in the nineties. When no one was talking about that, right? My friend mm -hmm. Sinjin Smith was the real ambassador who I learned a lot from. And, you know, just seeing what how important it was to, you know, open up and, and go out and talk to people that you don't know, like grab a kid and give them a hat after your your match and, you know, play with them a little bit. And all those things like really started to to come into this, you know, what can you do next? And I had um, you know, enough great relationships from hosting people at tournaments and understanding like, you know, what, what do people want? They want those experiences. You know, that's what I learned. And that's what kept me able to play so long because, we, you know, we don't get salaries. We're not like the NFL and you get contracts. Like you lose a match, you don't pay rent. You you win, you could buy a house. Like it just kind of works like that. So you're constantly thinking like as you're playing is, you know, how do you, um, you know, how do you be successful in this? So. 
That's incredible. Well, let's let's dive all into some of the the stuff that has happened after your volleyball career. But before before we get there, I want to kind of talk about the pinnacle of your volleyball career, uh, just because I, I I would love to hear this story. So let's take us back, take everyone back to the 2002 Hermosa Open. Uh, share a little bit about that kind of concluding match, what that was like, and what that story was, and kind of what you experienced in that moment. Yeah, you're gonna love this one. So it makes me smile to think about, but but. What had happened before that is I was having really bad back issues. So it was, it was like just constant, constant issues, like not being able to sleep and, 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 um, you know, it was, it was just brutal And the night before the tournament, my dad's brothers, my uncles who helped raise me were all at my house drinking outside till like three in the morning. And I couldn't tell them, Hey, I'm trying to get some sleep because this is what, you know, our family is, that's what we do is all hang out. And so. You know, the first day of the tournament, I, I was just happy to be able to get up and walk. And I had to fight through that to barely win the, the matches to make the next day. Same thing. Everyone's over. And it was like, you know, it was it was, uh, it was a nice integration of like X Games and beach volleyball for the first time. It's called Mervyn's Beach Bash. It was at Hermosa. They had a giant half pipe. Tony Hawk was there. Wow. I mean, it was literally the biggest tournament I've ever seen in my hometown, right? It was just so cool. And we ended up you know, playing really well. We were, we were winning and, 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 uh, I, I was playing with this, this, uh, this guy, Jeff Nygaard, who was a six foot eight stud, but really hasn't played any beach. He was a rookie, but I figured I would play with the biggest guy and let's see how we could do. Right. And so we just started, started getting momentum, did really well the next day. And then we find ourselves in the semifinals. Next thing you know, we're in the finals and I'm like, okay, this is crazy. The, the, the place, like just the energy was just incredible. You know, you're out there and thousands of people and they're all cheering because you're the one local guy that's on the court all four of us had played at ucla so that was really interesting and you know we ended up i think we had like i don't know 16 match points against us the last game to 15 went extra to 28 26 and i can still like get chills thinking about the last play when we actually i set it and my big partner goes up and hits it and as it's going into the crowd you're still like please go outside, please go out, please go out. And as it goes out, <laughs> grabbed him. And then everybody ran on the court and it jumped on us. And it was just like the most incredible thing. And then, you know, the mayor and everybody from the city came in and they're just like popping champagne and carrying us into our friends' bars. And it was just like pretty cool moment. And, and to your point earlier, I mean, it was my 10th year, 158th tournament, my third final. And you know, you always wonder, like, is this something that I was supposed to do? Because you always want to be at the top of whatever you do, right? And I didn't know if I was going to have any more chances after that. It, it was just so special. And, you know, all the people that had helped me throughout the way, it was just really emotional. And, and I just couldn't believe that it finally happened. So it was very cool. That's so beautiful. And I can only imagine how that felt after all that blood, sweat, and tears to kind of have that and really just soak it in. I, I, I would love to zoom in I, actually on like the day after that or the days after that. Cause it's like, you've been, I'm always curious to ask this cause there's been all these studies that have shown um, and I'm not going to get this hundred percent accurately, but like, like astronauts, like when they finally get it to the moon or whatever their thing is and they come back, like they get all depressed and like, it's just, they, they, they kind of lose that beacon, but I know you've kind of transitioned that energy into other stuff, but like, talk to us a little bit about what was going on in your head after that. Like after you've been chasing something for so long, you get at the pinnacle, what were those next few days like? And, and, and did you decide to, would you, did you decide right then and there that that was going to be towards the end or, or what was that conversation like going on in your head? 
Well, yeah, no, I mean, it's a great question. And I didn't get back in a final after that. So mm. it was really interesting that I didn't know that that was my last chance. But like I said earlier, I mean, I'm always was always playing like every point could be my last. You know, I felt very fortunate to be in the sport and to play as long as I did. But I think I just kind of rode the high that year. You know, we were we were just super excited that, you know, we had been, you know, finally got there. So I wasn't satisfied, but I really didn't know what the future held. Um, and then I played eight more years and didn't get back in a final, but had, you know, a lot of success, but it was something that I, you know, when I retired, I looked back on and I was just like, thank God, because I could be a basket case if I actually didn't. And I had a lot of, you know, really good friends in other sports that went to take it another level to your question. It's more about, you know, when athletes retire is the hardest transition ever. I mean, you're looking for, you know, that, that love for for competing has to be replaced with something. So for me, I was able to have a lot of um, great mentors that were teaching me about business and I was doing my vacations and, you know, so it was, it wasn't like I didn't have anything to do, but I've had a lot of friends that have struggled and continue to struggle with what the hell do I do? It doesn't matter how much success you've had or how much money you've made in your sport. You still need to fill that gap of competing because it really drives you as an athlete. And, it, and it's a, it's a scary thing when you're done. I mean, it really is. It take that transition is harder than when you win. You just kind of, you know, ride it until it's over. But when it's over, whew, it's a tough one. Mm -hmm. So let, let's go into like how you've been able to create this incredible career and still contribute massively to the world of volleyball since you've decided to retire. I, I know volleyball vacation started while you were still playing and it kind of like has still continued to grow throughout the year. So I would love for you to share a little bit about this because I'm assuming this kind of like planted the seeds for the other stuff that you did in the world about the beach agency group and the other things that you're creating, but, but it probably didn't start out that way where you had this big vision. It probably just seemed like something that you should have been doing. So talk to us a little bit about volleyball vacations and, and what that, what the initial inspiration was behind it. Yeah, no, thanks. Um, uh, <laughs> I was a rookie on tour, 1993, and now I outed myself. And I got invited to go to Cancun, Mexico for a club med fantasy camp. We had NBA and we had pro beach volleyball players. And I just loved it, man. I loved, like I said, like just being around the people. They were all fans. They they really just wanted to be there to hang out with us. And I was just going because it was another party. Like all we did was get invited to fun events. You know, it's, it's a sport where being social is is acceptable. So, you know, we're out at bars, we're meeting people, we're doing our thing. And um, it was just a really cool lifestyle sport. And the environment was always like really, um, you know, people wanted to, to, release, uh, to, to relax and, and let loose. So, um, you know, these vacations, like I did the first couple of years and then it kind of died. And then I was getting at every tournament, people are coming up to me saying, you know, hey, we want to go check out some other places. You know, we have 20 people, we have 10 people. And I was like, you know, what should I do here? So my buddy at Club Mad, who was running um, uh, North America said, you know, this could be a nice side business for you. Like you should really consider doing this. Right. And, and funny enough, this, this December is our 30th year. And wow. so like we're going back to the Turks and Caicos islands and we're still doing the same thing. So I hire now the younger pros and help give them that same guidance when, you know, you're around these people for a full week, magic happens. Like they are, finally have their their toes in the sand and you know being able to learn something that you know that they want to be as good as they can and a sport that the best in the world over there so that that whole you know um combination of 
of magic and open bar. We go and have fun at night. We do theme nights. People are all dressed up as superheroes and like, it's silly, right? It's really a candy store for, for, for how busy and crazy everyone's lives are nowadays. So we really, really got behind that. And I mean, I had some funny lessons where I'll give you another story. I'll remember I'm at a bar and, and a, a friend of mine became a friend of mine was asking me like, how in the hell do you do this? Like, you guys don't make any money. Like, I want to sponsor you. What does that look like? And I'm sitting there. I'm like, well, let me think about it. You know, we'll, we'll talk tomorrow. I go back and he's, you know, sitting there in the corner of the bar, like, all right, you know, let's, let's, let's get this done. Like, I'm like, well, this is great. This is a place where we can actually like do all of our sponsor hunting in one week. Right. And I'm, and, and so anyway, I end up, I end up giving him a number that I'm like blown away by. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm just going to go high and just see what happens. And as soon as it comes out of my mouth, he's like, is that it? Oh my gosh, this is simple. And I'm like, no, what are you doing? <laughs> what was the number? What was the number? If you don't mind. It was 30 grand for a 30 grand in like 1995 for a, you know, one. And I'm, which is a pretty decent sponsorship at that time, but I was, I just blew it. So he laughs at me at this day because he supported me my whole career. And, you know, of course, those kind of, kind of lessons I teach now because I represent some of the young players as well. And I'm bringing them brands and partnerships and, I, I, I'm smart enough to say, like, if you have someone that you need, introduce me. Do never say how much you want, because I'll deal with that for you. Because I've done lots of, had lots of mistakes in that sense. Oh, man. I can only imagine what that must feel like, just seeing what that first volleyball vacation was like in 1993 to what it is today. Like, you probably could have never imagined. I, and, and as you were sharing earlier, like, not making any money as a volleyball player and kind of just being scrappy and like if you win you have this land this windfall but like if you're not you're trying to like figure out how to pay for rent and the fact that you kind of like did these volleyball vacations because you were chasing your curiosity you just wanted to see what would be possible if you did it and then you didn't overthink it but you went and you started creating that and then obviously the momentum that it's created today and i saw the videos on your site of people just having the freaking time of their life at these places. And, and, and so, so share, share a little bit about like what it's like today. So I saw you have like one pro coach for every 10 volleyball vacationers. So maybe share a little bit about like the, the value that people get and kind of like how the, the event has evolved to what it is today compared to where it was before. Yeah. When we first started, it was more about and the slogan is still something that I keep, but nowadays it's a little, um, a little uh, tougher to swallow, but it's still playing party with the pros, right? Okay, because that is our sport. But our, but our, you know, everything's changed, right? It's like, what does that mean to party? Like, whatever. But it really has been, you know, the staple of 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 how we market this because it's really just trying to get people to have fun. So the first ones we did, there was zero structure. We might be able to wake up hung over and maybe coached a couple people and they really it was about go to the bar go to the bar go to dinner and that's like how it started you know i mean the sport back then was just a giant party i mean it really was it was what you know it was baywatch traveling all over the world and we were fortunate enough to get to ride that wave you know so we did learn though as the years passed that people do want structure even though it's vacation and i get a ton of you know, complaints about, well, you know, when we're, you're saying that we're starting at nine and you guys rolling at nine 30 with all the other people that are hung over, it's kind of lame for us. You know, we, we pay the same money. We want to be here. We want to learn, we want to maximize what it is. And 
And that was really towards the beginning and that hit hard. I'm like, you know what? That's about respect now. Like, this is not cool. So I would have to, a, a funny transition that you'll like is I started to hire night pros and day pros because <laughs> I had to have people there in the day or we got so much shit. So I had the, the day pros were like, you know, dinner till 10, 10, 30, high five. They sneak out. I know they're going to run the tournaments and be there early in the night pros. I don't care when you go to bed. Just be back by a happy hour. So, you know, we, we kind of had to have that balance. And then, and then to your point, you know, there were people that brought, you know, loved ones, girlfriends, boyfriends, wives, sisters, whatever. Um, and they didn't love beach volleyball, but they were just there. So we had a social package. But the social package was like literally hang out on the hammock, you know, cruise around, watch them play volleyball. And it kind of, it was great. You're on vacation, but it was kind of lame. So, now we're bringing in, you know, a lot of different disciplines or of yoga and Pilates and pickleball and health and wellness experts. And so now people like to go, that's called go beach fest. And so people really like to go and they have as much fun, if not more integrating the beach volleyball, that is really the lifeblood of the, of the event, bringing in these other groups from different disciplines that I swear it's, it's so fun now because we can take a break and go do something else. And then I set the schedule up so that, you know, I made the mistake of volleyball was like 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. And I'm like, it can't work like this because everyone is so tired, my pros especially. So we mixed it up now. We do like private sessions and then they can go play pickleball and go with, you know, go do Pilates and et cetera. So it really, it really has become like um, more of, and my favorite saying is we did this the first time in like 2008. It was, you know, it's the only place in the world where they can train like Olympic athletes and then party like rock stars. I love that. And it's, I was saying to you, and I was nerding out with you the last time that we were hanging out and talking about this, how it's like, it, it seems like a dream come true for a curiosity driven athlete that is just wants to kind of see what it's like to be inside of the mind of a pro inside of a different sport. Like I can only imagine the takeaways that are happening if you're a pro volleyball player, and then you get to go and learn Pilates from a pro and you get to learn pickleball from a pro. It's like when you have that opportunity to step back to what we were talking about before, step outside of your comfort zone and be in that safe spot of being able to fail, but be coached around people that, that kind of create that environment. I can only imagine that like the, the brain stretching that happens as a pro athlete, mm -hmm. when you see other people at the top of their field, and then you get to go back to your own sport that you love from a brand new perspective that you didn't have before. If you didn't have that experience. That's a great point. I think, you know, you think about sports and I think what we're, you know, typically known for when you when you do it professionally is is your discipline right that your discipline and your routines are what drive you to be successful and it's the same in business right i mean when i when i got out of volleyball i started to realize there were so many similarities you know my friends that were c-suite coaches and they're like hey can you come in and talk about the routines that you had to follow to be successful in what you did and talk about your discipline and we, we're no different. Like the successful business and it's so great what you teach and what you show people is if you can give them, and I say it at every practice, if it's a, a brand new kid or a professional, if I can teach them one thing every practice, then I know they're going to get better. And if they can click, then think about that, right? I mean, I'm a lot older now and I'm learning every day still, but when I give a kid or an adult or anyone like a, a nugget that they could take off the court, that can translate to helping them live a better life. You know, I mean, it's that learn to be comfortable being uncomfortable again. It's so true, right? Mm -hmm. If you're not losing, you're not learning. Like there, there's all these things that you can say, but I swear with like finding 
the similarities between you know what an athlete has to learn and and what someone wants to learn to be successful in business there there's some really great similarities yeah 100 percent um you were just talking about kind of it seems like you've integrated this philosophy of getting uncomfortable being uncomfortable in all aspects of your life and it's been cool just hearing you share the evolution of volleyball vacations of like those small little things that you had to learn along the way. Like, okay, I need pros at night and pros during the day. And you, you had to like learn those things the hard way. And it, it seems like, and I'm curious to kind of fill the gaps here. So you, you also have beach agency group where you're creating exclusive events, brand builders and extraordinary experiences for these incredible companies. So I want to go into some of the, the stories and the experiences that you have there. But the question that I have is, did this start from volleyball vacations where you didn't realize this was a skill set that you had was building these relationships and creating these incredible experiences? And you're like, oh my God, I can create a whole separate brand around doing this for other people. Is that where it started was from volleyball vacations? You know, I, I think being able to um, manage a couple hundred people at a time, you know, gave me, gave me some exciting ideas and to think about, but I, I, I didn't know that you know, tying that into events, it just gave me comfort to look deeper into what can happen here, you know, being curious of what can happen. And then, you know, being a pro athlete, being very, very fortunate enough to get invited to a lot of really cool, you know, high-end events. Like I got to walk the ESPYs on the red carpet and like stuff I never thought I would be able to do. And then I said, you know, well, what are people looking for? And then as an athlete, especially a previous fellow player, like, how do you get brands involved? Because if we don't have brands involved and we're not wearing like a race car driver, which, which they called me, by the way, you, you, you make no money. And, and if you're not able to integrate them into the sport at a bigger level, then, so that's where I said, well, well, what else would you guys like to do? So I do Jake Glazer's Super Bowl party and it's, amazing and he's a huge mental health advocate which really one of the reasons why i like working with him and we get 1500 people showing up at these parties and the brands want to be a part of it and again mental health is so important right now and he's doing such a great job um you know those types of things like i have a client jake Resnikow, who's the biggest lgbtq plus promoter in the world and we're doing pride festival in new york we're doing his dreamland new year's eve party in miami and it's so awesome and you know again very focused on mental health and so that, that idea, you know, with these types of clients, it, it's, it's how do you create and curate events that everybody can really participate and support the right things, right? It's, again, it's fun and it's got that same element as volleyball vacations, but it's, it's really hyper-focused on the groups of people that want to bring their clients, the brands that want to associate with that person or this event or, you know what I mean? So yeah. there's a lot of like a lot that goes in you know, to the thought process and then pulling that, putting it all in the bucket that makes sense. It's fun to create and, and really curate what that is. So, you know, you know, I definitely going through the volleyball vacations has given me that. And the people that are on these trips are so amazing because they're all successful, right? They work their asses off so they can spend a week with us in paradise. It's like, well, they do want to say how hard their life is and what were their lessons to get to become successful. So all of that knowledge kind of keeps going around and you're in like comfortable positions and hanging out talking. And, you know, so that that's where Beach Agency Group really came. You know, when I stopped running the NVL um, in 2017, the natural progression was, you know, hey, let's let's piggyback other events and other people that are doing cool things. And and, um, you know, 
produce events for them. Yeah. That's amazing. So what I would love to do then is since you, you started kind of talking about all these incredible events that you've been behind the scenes of, let's maybe share like a story or two from some of these events to kind of paint a picture of these kind of experiences that you're creating. And then I would, what I would love to do is kind of like reverse engineer in your brain. Like when you get a new client that comes on board and they're like, Hey, we need to create a badass event, or we need to create this incredible experience or feature this brand. I kind of want to see what goes on inside of your brain as far as like how you actually create that. But let's start, let's start with like maybe a story from one of these events, or at least just giving a really detailed picture of like what one of these things are. So I saw on your site, you've done the American music awards, Toronto international film festival, comic con, as you said, SV awards, Kentucky Derby. But one of the ones that stood out to me on your site was the MVP kickoff party. I don't I don't know if that was the one that you were just referencing, but you know, I saw this yeah. awesome video of little John and Guy Fieri walking around over 669 million total media impressions generated from that event. So maybe just kind of paint a picture and, and talk about what that event was. Um, and we'll just go from there. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, so year and a half ago, Super Bowl was in Los Angeles, my backyard. I'm like, all right, I better go find a venue because there's going to be nothing available in the summer, I'm out in Hollywood looking for all of the venues because bringing this together Wednesday nights, the kickoff party, that's when we do it because it's the kickoff the whole Super Bowl week is just so you understand the, the context. And Wednesday in Los Angeles is kind of when the celebrities do go out because they don't like the weekends and getting hammered. So I knew that was, you know, you have to think of like what your, what your advantage is here. And then I got to be in Hollywood because it's, it's the best place to be for a, for an event. So, you know, I found this place called Academy LA. It was incredible. It had a great indoor outdoor COVID was still pretty heavy. Right. So it's just kind of releasing. And then, you know, LA, I was getting some, some updates internally about they're going to, they're going to kind of ease up a bit. As long as you have an outdoor venue, they're going to say, okay, you can kind of have one of these big parties. And, uh, <laughs> About three weeks before the party, Jay Glazer calls me and says, hey, man, I am so sorry. I got COVID. And I gave Howie Long COVID, and I gave our assistant COVID, <laughs> and the president from Fox has said, we are not allowed to go to any Super Bowl parties. Fox had rented out in the entire, ho a couple of hotels in Santa Monica, rented out the Santa Monica Pier, and they canceled everything. And I'm like, oh my holy God. shit, what am I going to do? So I actually change the name of the party to the MVP kickoff party, not even knowing if my host was going to be able to come or not, but I was so deep. I had to figure it out. So then we were like, okay, who else can we, in, who else can we invite? You know, we had big brands there supporting it. Monster Energy came in and did an unbelievable job with giant bar and like all of their infrastructure. And so I felt good about what was happening, you know, to create, you know, the environment and the, and the actual excitement for the event. But I'm like, well, what am I going to do if Jay doesn't show up? Like, this is the whole reason why, you know, this party is even going to exist. Sure enough, like maybe a week before he calls me, he says, hey, we're all good to go. Everyone from Fox is coming. We're going to be fine. I'm just like, it was tough telling sponsors that I'm not sure if you're going to be there, but thanks <laughs> for telling me. So, you know, we end up, it was really tough getting everybody there. Like there was a lot more protocol than normal because of COVID, right? We had to get extra security. We had to do this, that. It was in the heart of Hollywood. And, you know, we ended up 1500 people showed up. It was amazing. And it was, it was just one of the, the biggest accomplishments I think I ever had because a lot of events did cancel and they didn't want to take the risk. I was so down the rabbit hole. I'm like, I'm pulling it off. It's going to be great. We can't turn back now. And, you know, 
ended up being great. But like that was one of the more difficult pivots that we had to make. Um, you know, just to, to kind of understand, I mean, we had so many celebrities showed up again. I was very fortunate. It was in California. It was in Hollywood, but the, the star power of, of the person that you work with that are these celebrities really make the difference. So I realized like, you've got to make sure you have one staple, you know, theme to what you're doing, and then you could be successful with it. If you bring in the right people. Oh my gosh, so much good things to unpack there. Um, Because I want to go into like the staple theme and how you kind of ideate and how you choose that. But the other thing that stood out to me was when you said, who else can we invite? And I, I, I you and I kind of nerded out about this because, you know, you and I were talking about the my magic connection method process and how I've been able to kind of connect with people. I want to hear your secret sauce, like how you go about building these relationships and inviting people. So like when you let's say you have the basis for an event, or maybe you can use the MVP kickoff party as an example. So when you have the idea and you have some of the the celebrities lined up and maybe the theme built out, what does that actually look like when you're reaching out to these brands? Like what are, what, how are you positioning it? Like, what are some of the ways are you only using warm connections? I know it's kind of a messy question, but I want to hear kind of your philosophy. No, on no, it's a great how question you bring because on board. it's, it's a very difficult thing to process. I mean, you know, I had to figure out ways to connect with brands as an athlete because I was, you know, as an athlete, you have to have support from brands or you, you can't play. And yeah. I feel really bad for the players today that are, you know, it's, it's, it's growing like crazy. It's the most popular sport in the Olympics and, you know, it's a college sport and it's, it, it's just, it's amazing what's going on in our sport yet they still can really struggle to make a living. So the same thing when you're trying to, if you run any bets, typically I have to pay to rent the resort, to rent the venue. You usually want to buy out the F and B contract so you can bring in your own sponsors from beverage, to alcohol, et cetera. And then you're like, oh God, here's what we just paid. Now let's go back and figure <laughs> out how we're going to bring in sponsors to cover the event. And then how do we make money? Right. Cause we, you know, we have open bar, we don't charge for tickets. It's the sponsorships that we have to put together. So, you know, we put together these packages to say, you know, do you guys want, a VIP table in front of the stage. You can watch the performer. Do you want to bring in, you know, upstairs, we have, you know, a 20, a 20 table, 20 top. You guys can have that for X. Do you want to be the, you know, we had F45. It was the F45 red zone. You know, we had the, um, the Rams area VIP, right? We had the, the, the Kansas city area. So everyone that comes in for the Super Bowl. We have to reach out to those fan clubs. We have to reach out to the people that are always known for traveling. So there's like every aspect of what you put together, you have to then go out and find who are the three to five most likely partners that we can bring in together to help fill that area to generate revenue. But it's really like, it, it is honestly, Brandon, I mean, it, there's probably like a hundred things on our checklist that we have to get through. And we're lucky to have like 60 of them covered the 40. We got to do this and we got to hope our relationships are going to help us there. Right. So it is definitely, I just love creating it though. I mean, the challenge is what's fun about it. Cause once you get through some of those humps, you're like, Oh, Jay's not coming. Like, okay, well let me call my agent friend. Let's invite their 40 clients. And then they can go ahead and bring, you know, let's invite some of the top NFL guys, making sure that the relationship's strong enough with the agent so that they're going to show up, which then 50 other players want to show up. So, you know, we're sitting there like, and I told the staff at the door, I'm like, listen, if they're dressed nice, let them in. We don't have time to check out. We don't have time to check their, you know, all the protocols that we had. 
And so everybody that showed up in a suit or was dressed up, well, walked the red carpet, everything was good. But I mean, those are things that if we had to actually do everything we were supposed to, like people would have turned away. And well, I mean, Hollywood Boulevard was lined up to get into this place. So, you That's know, you really got to have, you got to pivot. That it, it seems like you just live on that thrill of building the airplane on the way down. Like that's the definition of doing that. And like, you're, you're also the definition of like a puppet master of a puppet master. It's like, you have to, mm. you're, you're like pulling the strings of a puppet that is pulling strings of other puppets of like bringing the, so I can only imagine the amount of moving pieces that happen to pull something like that off is just, I can't even like fathom it, but let's, you, you talked about like pulling out one specific thing that people could take away. I really want to zoom in on, and you know, why I'm obsessed with this. Cause I love thinking about how people actually position a vision position, a selling point and actually pitch that to one person. So I know you just kind of mentioned you literally off the top of head, you were like the VIP table, the F 45 red zone, the Rams area, Kansas city. So like, let's say, you got a section, you have three, that list of three to five most likely partners that are like, this might be a good fit for you. Can you walk us through what that looks like when you're reaching out to them or like, yeah, like what is the messaging? Like, how are you selling the vision to like get them involved and want to actually be a sponsor of this thing? Yeah. Great questions. Way to test me, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) This is a good one. So I think I'm going to start with um, you know, let's say we're talking about our pro, our pro beach athletes, right? They're amazing kids. What, what do they offer? Um, you know, where are they from? Where are the pro tournaments at? Where are the, the brands that are headquartered in those cities? Right. Perfect example. Yesterday I send an email to dude wipes, right? Funny company killing it. Our friend knows the CEO. They've done business together. They're headquartered in Chicago. Well, two of our guys are called the Beach Cowboys, and they're like <laughs> from the Midwest. So I did this whole pitch about they need to come in to your headquarters and talk about what they do, and then they're going to do clinics for your your employees, and then they're going to be a VIP at the tournament, cheering them on as they're looking at them, pointing at them while they're on center court. I mean, I'm a CEO, you're a CEO, like we're all CEOs. We're like, uh, okay, let's do it. So you have to find these touch points that would really make sense instead of saying. Hey, they're going to wear a, you know, a, a temporary tattoo on their arm. And it's cool. And they're going to post. It's cool. Like, no, it's not like you have to be, create a differentiator to, to spark that interest. And then it's got to make sense at the end of the day. I mean, I've never seen more in my life, how hard it is now to connect with the brand. When we first started playing, we had Miller light would pay $20 million and they can care less where it goes. We just want to be involved. When I ran the mm-hmm. National Volleyball League, it'd be a great example. I'm in Hermosa Beach talking to Budweiser, who was one of my sponsors forever. There's they they tell me, well, Albie, we can give you ten dollars a case sold in all of your friends' bars during that weekend. I'm like, seriously, guys, like lucky to get five thousand dollars. And we have prize money for hundred and fifty thousand. So you can imagine like the stress of all of that. So, you know, jumping out of that and going back to your question, you know. For example, Super Bowl next year, Las Vegas. I've already been there twice. We're getting the biggest venues. We have, everybody wants to be in Vegas, but if you're not ahead of it and you're not working with the people in Vegas that are the biggest promoters, right? What's the best venue? Who's likely going to go there? We're working with a guy that owns the suite. We're trying to buy his suite so that we can then give the biggest package to a brand to say, well, we're not just going to the Super Bowl like Visa does for the Olympics. Great example. When a trip to the Olympics, right? Everybody knows it. You hear it. You kind of remember it. It's one of the best promotions 
I think in 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 uh, uh, in our in sports in general. And so you know you have to find like what is what is exciting. Like when the Super Bowl went to Indianapolis, I don't think I would do a party there. It's just there's nothing that I can really do that would be exciting. But thankfully, most of the time they're picking these super interesting big markets, so that's not that hard. When you're like curating something new, I think the biggest trick for me is really to find out who's headquartered in that city and where is the event hosted. And that's our start. And we go there. And then you look back to say, all right, who's the last four or five years who's sponsored this type of event? If it's a music awards or a sport event or whatever, you kind of start there and you can just look at the categories and then you, you, you hit the top five to 10 companies in those categories and let them know that you're talking to their competitors. And then they peak interest and then they talk about, well, what are your options? And then you got to create the the packages and customize those. So it, it definitely is an, an interesting balance, but it, you know, you got to be very um, strategic about it. There's so much gold in here for you listening right now. Just like think about all the intricacies and the parallels between this and all the relationships that you're building inside of your business. I think an event is like probably the most exaggerated version of needing to pull all people together over one date and do all these kinds of things. So maybe not as intense of what Albie goes through of just trying to figure out how to coordinate and hurt all these cats and bring them all together in one spot. But I think at the end of the day, what I always say is like, you're just one connection away from making anything happen. And I think that like learning from you and the insights that you have is the perfect breeding ground of you putting your reps in. You've been in like you've been just describing this one event, but you've been in scenario after scenario of like, who the heck can we find? How do we reach out to it? What's the, what's the warm introduction that I can get there? And then how do you sell that vision? Right? Like that's pretty much all you're doing is you're putting yourself in an environment to cast a powerful vision that other people want to get involved with. And like, you know, then I'm, I'm assuming too, it's almost like you probably want to think about like the big dominoes, right? Like what are the, what are the big dominoes that I can then leverage to pitch all the other people to want to get them involved as well. So I, I, I think there's so much um, that anybody can go back and listen to and realize the power of creating that vision and then leveraging strategically the order of the people that you're pitching to, to kind of create all this kind of stuff. So um, anything else that you want to add to this concept, Albie? Because I think this is super, super important. I know you talked about like staple themes and kind of how you create those themes, but I think anybody listening right now that is creating a vision that has a big vision, learning how to build momentum around that and get other people involved. It's one of the most important things that we can be talking about. So any, anything else kind of on, on this that has been valuable? You know, for you? I, uh, Dr. Bill Boa was a guest on your show and, um, you know, the, the point of, 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 you know, change always, you know, you always to have success, you, I'm trying to remember it probably, but you're always going to have change and risk, right? People naturally, you know, no one wants to hear no, but if you don't and you don't get used to it, you're not going to get that next step, right? You never mm -hmm. know where that connection point might might work you know just talking to people in general i think is the most important thing i mean you know wherever i'm at now because i'm so old like i could talk to anybody and i can say what do you do and i know something in that world likely right i mean it just it's just what it is and immediately my brain goes to how do i connect with that connect them with someone that could potentially help them because then i just help someone again right and yeah. and so it's like you're never really looking for it at all on your own unless of course you're introduced for a purpose, but for general, general, you know, um, generally you, you know, if you don't just talk to people and figure out like, you know, you're trying to get somewhere like I love 
to to not know anything about something that's important in, the, in a project that I'm taking, right? We're, we consult in a lot of different businesses and, you know, especially health and wellness and, you know, learning more about these new products that are coming out and, and, and how they, you know, for me, it's really fun for the marketing side, right? Because it all translates back to, oh, look at this brand. They're really focusing on sports. And then I start thinking, okay, well, maybe, maybe it goes to Super Bowl. Maybe it goes to our athletes. You know, you're looking at another brand that's like, oh, it's all, it's all beachy marketing. Well, they should be in the Turks and Caicos, right? And then people throw an athlete in there. So I'm always thinking whenever I'm looking at anything, if it's on Instagram or TV, like I'm focused in on how they're marketing and, you know, it's, it's just really cool to kind of figure out not only what's trending, but, but why are they doing the things that they're doing? And then maybe it works for you. Maybe it'll help you kind of think differently and, and what you're trying to accomplish. I think I kind of visualize your brain as kind of like you're constantly collecting all these puzzle pieces and you don't quite know where the puzzle piece is going to fit, but like you're constantly having conversations with someone and like that'll maybe come up later and that plays in with that other thing that you saw over there. And then you kind of just sit down with all of your puzzle pieces that you've collected over the years. <laughs> and it gets probably easier and easier over time as you have more leverage and more momentum to allow you to pull all these incredible things off. So man, Albie, this has been so much fun just hearing about your journey, not only as a pro athlete, but in all these incredible experiences that you're creating for people. I want to be respectful of your time. So there's one other question that I have that I would love to start wrapping things up. So I don't know really what this is, but it's just been bothering me because it, I just can't ask, not ask about it. I learned that you love samurai swords. You have a samurai sword <laughs> hanging behind you. What's with the samurai swords? <laughs> Tell us a little bit about that. <laughs> well, I, I have a best friend that Dennis Smith is just the master Kung Fu and we played football together in high school. And, uh, you know, he really got me to appreciate martial arts and he would go to China and, and compete. And this is like a white boy that has no business being a master Kung Fu. I mean, he's incredible. Right. So I really like, I just loved watching karate movies growing up. I, I grew up a giant fan of Bruce Lee. I learned Jeet Kune Do. Um, and no was, way. was training for about four years. Yeah. So I really, really appreciate the martial arts and that, and the actual focus of what it takes. It's just so beyond any sport. Right. And so my buddy Dennis got me, um, really excited about the weapons and in, in martial arts. And <laughs> so that's from him. That's, that's actually a broadsword from China. I have a samurai sword, which I would love to show you one day. That's pretty epic, but yeah, I just love the idea of like, you know, they use it in art forms, right? It's not just, oh, I have a weapon. It's like so cool. Like I'm going to protect my family. Like I actually do have a lot of cool weapons. And so, you know, I, I, I just love it. You know, I, I, so the, the, the Olympics in Japan, I was going and I was bringing a group there. We were going to, going to go make our own samurai swords. We were going to no the stables, uh, at, at, at the, uh, um, sumo wrestlers. I had, uh, we were going to a monastery to meditate with monks. Like it was awesome. Yeah, I try to do these Olympic trips too, right? So you can do something. And Japan was such a cool one because a lot of Samoans in my family were actually sumo wrestlers. So we have some good connections over there. And I was so bummed when we couldn't go because of COVID. So now I'm thinking yeah. about Paris and, you know, what can we do over there? And I have some great ideas that, that I'm excited to bring a group over there next year for the Olympics. Oh my gosh. You just must be the most incredible human to just toss something out of your way and see what you create, see what magic comes out at the other end. That's so I, I cool. get texts all the time, Brandon, from, from <laughs> friends of mine. They're like, 
what do you think about this? Check this brand out. Oh my God, look at the marketing. And I just love it. I'm fortunate because my phone's always blowing up and I'm looking at it. So my mind is always, you know, going, but yeah, it's, it's been a fun ride, man. I, I think just in closing, you know, you just got to be comfortable being uncomfortable. You got to do the things that, that you didn't think is how great do you feel when you do something and you're like, I didn't want to do it. And then you tell yourself, I'm so glad I did that. Like that really resonates with me. And, you know, I teach my three daughters that, and you know, if they don't ask, they're never going to know. So, yeah. you know, it's something to think about. A hundred percent. So beautiful. I know we're coming up on time. So I, I normally I would ask one other question, but I, I want to figure out where people can explore all the incredible stuff that you're up to. Where's the best place that they can find out about you and your journey, Albie? Uh, thanks. Uh, beachagencygroup.com, gobeachfests.org, vibalvacations.com. Um, and if you want to do a Super Bowl party or something and you say that, <laughs> your friends of Brandon, then I'll probably let you in for free. <laughs> and if we're not talking about a Super Bowl party where you throw together some Cheetos, we're talking about some, we're, we're, we're talking about an epic Super Bowl party. So yes, <laughs> I love that. Yes, so go, go check that out. We'll have it all linked up in the show notes. And uh, I'm just going to really quickly have a conversation with you listening. And I just want to say you could be listening to any other podcast, but you chose to click on this one. And man, you've been on for one heck of a journey. I I love podcasting so much. It's totally transformed my life because I believe that every podcast has the ability to give that person that one thing that can totally transform their mindset or give them a different takeaway. So whether it was some of the stuff that we talked about in the very beginning about uh, Albie's journey of meeting Ralph and, and going on this path of becoming a pro beach volleyball player, or maybe it was that that just that visual of of hitting that final his partner hitting that final spike in the Hermosa Open and and kind of and, and and experiencing that high and then reinventing his career inside of the business world and creating these incredible events or maybe it's just this idea of like how to create a huge vision and get other people involved there's so much gold in today's episode that can absolutely transform my life so my ask to you listening is that if you've heard one of those things that has sparked something for you, that you share this with someone because you have no idea what kind of impact that can make. Uh, but whether or not you share this, I appreciate you so much for listening. And Albie, I know you already kind of talked about some of the the getting uncomfortable being comfortable, but any final words that you want to say before we head out for today? Um, no, I just appreciate you and and you know, a big fan of you as a person and and excited for your family. Um, and you know, watching some of your previous podcasts have really helped me too. So Absolutely. You know, I hope that I, I've given any kind of nuggets to help anyone out there. Um, you know, it's just, it's nice to be a part of something so special, which you're growing. So thanks for having me on. Thank you so much, Albie. I appreciate you so much. I'm so grateful for you and we'll be talking to you soon, my friend. Take care, brother. Well, there you have it, my friend, that amazing conversation with my friend, Albie Hanneman. Now, really quick, one last thing. I finished the recording with Albie. We talked for like two more seconds, and then he was like, oh, man, there was an epic story that I forgot to tell. And he was like super excited and super passionate about it. And I was like, well, why don't we just add it to the end? So here is a final bonus story from my friend, Albie. Awesome. We'll end the recording right there. I took us right up. So I apologize if you have a, a meeting in another minute, but that was so much oh, fun. No, Thank you. Totally good. Totally <laughs> good. Yeah, no, that was awesome, man. Thank you for that. It, it's funny because, because like there's stories, what I forgot to mention is this story that I had this past uh, last weekend in Gulf Shores real quick. It was incredible. The kid that I coached from when she was a kid that played with my daughter ended up 
getting in the lineup at USC, playing her ass off as we sat there and fired up and took a red eye to go see her two weekends ago, wins the freaking national championship, gets picked to be on the all tournament team. And wow. like, it was like the pinnacle of how happy I was to be able to help someone mentally because her mental focus was better than the entire like tournament there. It was just amazing. So that was something that was something that I just was so excited about. I didn't mention, and I'm still on a high. All of us are because she's such do you a have wonderful a, Do you have kid. a second to dive into that? We can add it, it unless you got to go. Then I know you got to go. No, no, I'm happy to. Happy to. So, so, so what was that mental dialogue? Like, how did you give her a chiropractic mental adjustment to kind of get her in the zone to, to win that thing? Yeah. So, so, the, so Jenna Johnson is her name and, and, you know, she was my oldest daughter's partner when I had my uh, beach volleyball Academy in Florida where we met her and, you know, she went to Florida state for four years and then, um, you know, really was chasing the elusive national championship and beach volleyball, which is really difficult, decides to go and take a shot. And my friend Dane Blanton. Um, who actually won the gold medal with my cousin in 2000 in beach volleyball is the head coach at USC. So backpedal two weeks before Dane calls me and says, well, tell me more about Jenna, because, you know, we're going to be, um, you know, competing in the Gulf shores in the national championship in a couple of weeks. And I said, Dane, I've been telling her her whole life that she's ready for this moment. You got to play her. Like it's super windy. She's the best jump server in the country. Like just put her in. She's mentally ready. Right. And, and, and again, I'm, he's a, Great coach. He's won three years in a row now. Blue the story. But um, on the Tuesday before they left, she wasn't in the lineup. There's five teams. She wasn't in the lineup. Catapults her into the fourth team. She calls me. Me and my wife, Lisa, are like, well, we really need to go. We end up going out there, plays her ass off, like gets through really close matches. And, you know, on ESPN, she ends up winning, wins all tournament. Like it was just honestly a storybook finish. And we're screaming, as I told Jenna from the very beginning, there will be a day that you're playing in Gulf Shores, all of your hard work and your jump serving is going to come into come into real importance when you guys need to win the national championship. Don't know where you're going to play, but you're going to be playing. And we kept talking about that. So when she walked up before she got on center court, before it started on ESPN, I hugged her and we re I reminded her of this. And she went out and it was just a boss and it was so cool. So we were all yelling, screaming. They, they like, it was just a, a nice, like really best coaching moment I've ever had. So I'm so happy for her and her family, but also like just being a part of that and how beach volleyball is such a mental sport that she really had to dial in and do all the progressions on how you breathe better. And holy shit, I'm on ESPN and, and I'm actually playing. And it's actually, if I lose, we're not going to win. Like, all those things didn't matter because she said I prepared for this. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's a good eight, eight, 10 year run that she was always thinking about it and the good times, bad times. She had two concussions this year, wasn't even supposed to play. So she came back and, and it, it's just like one of my favorite stories of all time. And like the validation that she had leaving, going to USC, like kind of being the outcast, like the fifth year senior, not having time to bond being heard and like going through medical with her concussions. And then I'm here and she just like blossomed and was just hyper-focused. So it was so cool to see that everything that like I'm yelling things from the sideline right before she's doing it. And it was just so cool. Like you almost were manifesting this special moment and it, it was incredible. That's beautiful. I just immediately see a parallel, even though he didn't play as big of a role in your life, but like Ralph, right? Like we all have those Ralphs in our life 
that show up at the right time that say the right thing or you know maybe it could be something small like ralph was for you or it could be something big like like for it's her a big pivot so, for me you're absolutely yeah. right it's like to the water to the court like 100 percent There you go. I hope you enjoyed that final bonus story. I love you. I appreciate you. And we'll talk to you soon.